1: Hello, welcome to another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. In this podcast, we explore some of the little-known legends, stories, places, and rumors about the great Buckeye State. We're your hosts, Mike and Dan. So, hide the keys, lock the doors, and turn down the lights. The next episode is about to begin. Welcome to another edition of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. Tonight, we're excited to welcome our special guest. We have Katie and Liz from the podcast Murder Road. Katie and Liz, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having
1: us. Thanks for being here. For those who don't know, the Murder Road podcast is a fantastic podcast, and it tells the gripping and compelling story of, and I'm gonna ask uh, Katie and Liz, can you talk a little bit about the story and how you got involved in creating this podcast?
2: Yeah, do you wanna take um, do you wanna take the creation part, Liz? Because you were really kind of the catalyst for it. Yeah, kind of. Okay, well, so
0: at some point I realized that we were all listening to um, True Crime podcasts. And we got to talking one night, and Missy said she grew up in Lorraine or near Lorraine, and she said that there were so many weird stories there. And I said, oh, I got some doozies, too. And, you know, we just got to talking, and Missy told her stories about what all happened where she grew up, and then I told the stories about what all happened where I grew up, and both the girls were just sitting there with their mouths open. Uh, we got kind of excited, like, why is this unsolved? Why is all of these unsolved? What What is, what is going on here? And so it, it piqued our interest, and then we – Realize that nobody talks about this.
2: Yeah, and so for, in case anybody doesn't know what what Liz is talking about and what 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 these are what these unsolved refers to is in um, 1993 and 1994. In that one year span, there were four murders, and all four victims were found along this in the same stretch of woods. Basically, they were all within a half mile of each other, within one year all still unsolved to this day and on a very
0: secluded piece of state park property
2: yes and it's very remote very secluded and it's it's just wild that first off there were so, there were so many found in such proximity and in such a short time span and also that all four still remain unsolved 30 years later
0: hmm? Yep.
2: And Katie is from the area as well, and she just, she didn't even know that these happened. Yeah, I knew about some of them. I knew, I, I knew about Sarah I think Sarah you knew Bames. about Kathy. I remember. Yeah, I knew about Kathy and Sarah because I remember when um, Sarah's, Sarah Bames' remains were identified. Yeah. I was, I was hanging out in that area with some, in that general area a lot with some friends around that time. So I remember that, that was big news when that happened, but yeah. I didn't oh, yeah. know the full. It was, and it's still huge news.
0: It was one of the, it was one of the early um, DNA solve cases. Well, it wasn't a solve, but it was like a big.
2: Uh, we made national news with that, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think yeah, this was. She was. She wasn't identified until 2003. But right. Yeah, they were able to confirm confirm her identity with a DNA match from from her family, and that was that was big.
0: Yeah, because DNA was so new then. I mean, it had been starting in like the 90s when all this stuff happened, but it wasn't really understood by the public what the potential of it was.
1: Right. In your podcast, you talk a little bit about Futon Road. Futon Road seems drastically different today than what it was back then. And in your podcast, you talk about some of the activities and some of the things that took place back there. Was it really as crazy and as bad as it's described in the podcast?
0: Absolutely. At various points, it wasn't always that bad or we wouldn't have been able to stay living there, but it was bad enough. It was that bad often enough that it was, there were a few years of my childhood that were really pretty scary.
2: Oh, it's also probably worth mentioning for anybody who isn't familiar, the road and the stretch of land that we're talking about is Fewtown Road, and that is where Liz grew up.
0: Right. Um, but it's also it dead ends in the state park property, which is a kind of a uniquity.
1: That's true. There always seems to be a road or a place that is just dark and bad, and it's kind of where bad things happen. And was Futon yeah. Road that place when you were growing up?
0: Um. Well, not exactly. It wasn't that until 1993, you know, when people started dying. Um, but most of the time it was really just hunting and fishing and camping. It used to be like a primitive campground, my mom calls it. And it was where you would, you know, there was no like running water or utilities or anything, but there were cleared spaces where you could set tents up and stuff right on the lake. Gotcha. So I don't know. It's, it's it, and there wasn't a lot of recreation back then, so outdoor
2: stuff was a big deal. So it kind of gained a reputation for being kind of kind of a lawless place because yeah. it was remote and there wasn't a whole lot going on. Like, since right. it was mostly game land for hunting and fishing and not a lot of well any kind of supervision, adult or otherwise, not only would teenagers go back there to party, grown adults would go back there to party, too.
1: It sounds oh, yeah. like quite the place.
2: Yeah, it was. It was
1: one of the things that's really fantastic about your podcast is not only do you tell the story in a, in a, in a way that everybody can understand it, but you can tell you've really done your research. So in the process, you absolutely, and it's credit to you. And in, in the course of doing this and interviewing people for this story, um, is there any interviews that stand out that you'd like to share or, and is there somebody else that you'd like to interview that you haven't been able to up till now?
0: You know what, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, the thing is, so our interviews, a lot of them happen on the fly while we're out in the wild. And people will be like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, we're looking around to find people who might have been alive and living here at this time. And, you know, at a uh, restaurant and the grocery store there in Deerfield for a little bit there, I think we ran into a few people. And it's just weird because everybody wants to tell their story. Everybody wants to say what was happening at that time for them, and so you get a lot of things that were rumors and hearsay, and here's the thing is we take note of all of it, every last little bit of it, because even if it's not anything, it might be something, and somebody might need to know it at some point. In fact, I think probably the, the wildest kind of stuff that we get, we've gotten contacted by a few psychics, which listen I am not above it I, if they they might be tapped into something I'm not here to tell them they're not all I'm here to do is
2: document what they say in case you know it might be a relevant clue at some point as far as people that I'd like to talk to there's there's a lot of people I'd like to talk to but we're willing to talk to almost anybody um we've had family members reach out to us and some have offered to tell their story some have been re- some have been reluctant they just wanted to you know, make contact and say hi, but I would love to hear, we would love to talk to almost anybody who has anything to say.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, we've had a few people contact the show trying to talk about their story and their version of things. And they, some, sometimes they have a hard time understanding that like, we're gonna, we're gonna listen to what you're saying, but it's not necessarily going to be part of the show, but we are going to document it because it's like, Everybody deserves to have a say, and I think this whole community has been quiet for so long about it that a lot of people are—they still ha- harbor some some real fear, you know. And I think that even if we're not getting any super pertinent clues, I still want to talk to people. You,
1: you touch on a couple key points there. I think it's worth noting. Uh, number one, you said that I think you said that the community of the neighborhood still has something to say, or there are people out there with a voice that want to be heard. And then you also said a little bit about the fear of coming forward. Do you think that fear is real and tangible? And is there something to be afraid of?
0: I feel like the fear is definitely very tangible still. And I think all of us that grew up in that community and still exist in in and around that community, we all still have questions and we all still are just have a little bit of concern because it's like, uh, you know, it, it really feels like it really feels like there was just not enough investigation actually done or something like it. I don't know. There's some sort of myth. And I think the community feels a little skeptical because it's like, well, I mean, are we actually, are we actually safe? Nobody really knows. And so I, I don't know what, what the answer to that is but I I do know that it is a feeling that is still seems to be still present
2: I feel like anybody's I feel like any fear is is valid whether I see it as a credible threat or not I haven't lived the I haven't lived the lives of the people who are reaching out and who we're talking to if they're afraid it's for a reason I don't need to know what that reason is to be able to respect that fear and to take their stories and to heart and respect their privacy and, and be cautious and careful with the information that they want to share because their fear is valid no matter what it is. Yep.
1: Without a doubt. And I think that's important to understand in this case is that when you have that voice in your head telling you, Hey, this is bad. This is not cool. It's definitely worth noting. And that little voice is telling you that for a reason, that there's some tangible fear that, there's something to be aware of. And I think that's important to recognize because whoever did this probably preyed on the vulnerabilities of two young girls.
2: Two young, yeah. two young girls and one young woman and one young man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah. the humanity aspect of the story and that the tragedy just doesn't end.
2: No. For their families, it's still very real. Right.
1: Did you have any contact with their families?
2: Yes. Some of them, yeah. We we've talked to a few family members. Yeah, we 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 did speak with um, Lisa Waters' stepmom, I think. Mhm. I, th- I think yep. that's what she was going.
0: Yeah, that's 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 who she was. Um, I think we also uh, got a couple of messages from one of her kids or both of her kids or two of her kids. I can't remember.
2: I think yeah, it was, it was, a, a, it was one, a friend. Right? It was it was a friend of her daughter. A friend of her daughter's reached out yeah, to us. There it is. That's who we heard from. Um
0: but we do we hear from people that are members of the families that are involved. It's just really hard because it's like I don't want to rip any old wounds open. I really don't.
2: Right. We're not yeah, I it's not our place to like hound family members like a paparazzi or something like that. It's I would love to talk to more family members but I'm not going to we're not going to reach out and make contact and ask them to relive this right if again if there if, if there's a family member or a friend of any of the the four excuse me the four people we are kind of investigating then I'd love to hear what you have to say but I'm not going to I'm not going to hound.
0: Yeah, it just feels a little voyeuristic when people do that kind of stuff. I don't, I, I just don't like it for them.
1: And that's a good point. And I think that uh, when the society that we live in—not to get on my soapbox too much—but now we have this reality television, and other people's pain becomes other people's entertainment. And I don't think that's fair. If you, especially if you're oh. the one that you know is having to live this. it's it's a horrible thing to have it to be exposed to.
2: Yeah, I right. agree completely, and I think in the I think that notion a lot of times can get lost in the true in, in true crime community, whether it's podcasting or TV shows that it, these aren't characters and stories; they're real people with real stories, and it's right. easy to lose it's easy to lose sight of that. Yep, absolutely.
1: And I, I think that's I'm a really to, great um, point. Can you talk a little bit about, in the course of your research, what has been the biggest surprise, or maybe even just general research in the case? Can you talk about what the biggest surprise has been for you so far?
2: I think hearing from the psychics was 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 a kind of a surprise for me. I wasn't yeah, I, I wasn't expect I wasn't expecting that. As far as like information though, like de- like actual facts and details about the cases, like. The misinformation was kind of, the misinformation floating around has, has been a big surprise. I was expecting a lot of that.
0: You know what's weird about the misinformation, though, is doesn't it seem like everybody that we've talked to that is absolutely sure that they know what happened, it was all hearsay every time, but they were absolutely convinced that that's what happened. Like as Correct. if it had been right. a publicly solved case or something. They just assumed that that thing, that rumor that they had heard was what actually happened.
2: Right, and I was surprised to see a lot of the different fact, like different facts in different papers and different articles and different sources. It there was a yeah. lot of, big, a lot of miscommunication, including the fact that Andy Hussey's real name is Anthony. Right. Yeah. Like it had been written and recorded as Andrew for so long, everyone just kind of accepted that it was Andrew, but no, his name was Anthony
1: when we look at some of the kind of the conjecture and the rumors around this story, uh, are there any that stand out to you? And I'll give you an example. So, I've been to Futon Road eight times now, just filming and just kind of getting a sense of the place. I went to the Circle Restaurant in Deerfield, and for those who don't know, Deerfield's a relatively small town. The township itself, obviously, is much bigger, but the town of of Deerfield is nothing more than really a a traffic circle, and on that circle is a restaurant called the Circle Restaurant. In speaking with one of the waitresses there about this case, she mentioned she knew about it, and she was roughly that age range where she was probably living through it. But one of the things that she said that kind of stuck stuck out to me was she said when they would go back there, and this is weird, in even numbers, they would be safe. Nothing would happen. But if they went there in odd numbers, there was always trouble to be had. I'm just curious. Have you ever heard that story or any stories like it?
0: Not quite like not, that. But that is interesting.
2: It is. It's very interesting. I've heard a lot about Bigfoot and like Hitmen and all and kinds the, of... The, the witch's house. Oh, yeah. The witch's house. And I've heard I've heard people talking about first land, which I'm not quite sure how to take that. But I also can't argue that it's not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: In, in doing my own research, I was really astounded at just... The number of maybe bad things that happened around this area, and I think a misfortune and death is not new to Futon Road or Berlin Lake, but I just think that this this concentrated area of these unfortunate deaths really make you scratch your head and you're wondering what is going on.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, I think it's a I think it it's a perfect storm of of several different contributing factors, like. Jurisdictional jurisdictional nightmare. No one. It's really difficult to tell where one county jurisdiction versus township versus what the state federal is in charge state of. Park. What? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where what the federal what the feds are in charge of, what the states in charge of, what Ohio Department of Natural Resources is in charge with, of what Deerfield Township is in charge of, what Portage County, Stark County, Mahoning County, Army Corps of Engineers, because they're the ones who carved out and Berlin, like like who is responsible for which part of of that area? So you take the jurisdictional nightmare, along with lack of supervision and remote area, and and the general... proximity
0: to various factions like biker gangs and mafia
2: families, and right. It's just I think it's kind of a perfect storm. I'm not ruling out anything, <laughs> you know. I'm not ruling out anything paranormal or. Or a curse of some kind, but um, there's also yeah. some some very real <laughs> bizarre things that all come together. Yeah.
0: And I feel like, too, uh, there's a lot of people that do claim, like, they feel that there's some sort of, like, negative energy about the place. But I grew up there, and I think the energy was just fine most of the time. But I do think that there's a lot of energy there because of how many people have been involved in it being there. It seems like a wild place, but, you know, again, with the no supervision, but also you have to factor in how much energy people have invested in that weird little spot.
2: And you I know? think that's also kind of like a chicken versus the egg thing too. Is that little stretch of Fewtown road, is it full of negative energy because of all the tragedy that has occurred there or has the tragedy occurred because it's a negative space to start with?
0: Right. Yeah. The chicken and the egg. That's, that's the correct analogy.
1: Robert Moore was indicted for the murder of Virginia LaKorchik back in 1993. I think I have that date correct. Yes, it was 93. So he served a stretch in prison, and then when he got out, there was another death allegedly he was involved with. This girl named Glenna White.
0: Yeah, that's the allegation, yeah.
1: That's the allegation, and he's been on trial, and I think he's been in, in jail since December of 2021.
0: I don't think he's in jail. I think he's actually
1: out. I thought i, I might be wrong. I, I I'm I not sure. I,
2: I thought he was still in custody, but I don't—I honestly don't, don't know for sure.
0: I thought I saw on a Facebook page somebody had said he had gotten bonded out, but I, you know— That, that, that was probably two months ago. So I could be totally behind on information.
1: Okay. I know that his trial has been reset for January of 2024. Yes. And when they first indicted him, he was, I think, indicted on aggravated murder and murder. So he beat the aggravated murder. He was acquitted on that. Correct. But on the, the murder charge, they still, they were, they're still pursuing it. And I think they're on their fifth attempt to sequester a jury.
2: That sounds about right. It's been delayed several times. Oh, so.
1: and it's crazy yeah. for some of the reasons that they're delaying the jury back in, I think July, one of the jurors stood up and said, I can't do this. I'm a convicted felon and I'm racist against everybody. So they wipe <laughs> yeah. out the entire yeah, jury and started <laughs> off again. And then I think in August, I think I'll get this right. One of the witnesses for the prosecution was arrested for aggravated assault. So not a good look for the prosecution.
2: Yeah. That the incident about the, the juror you're talking about, that was actually in October. I was there for that. (laughs) Were you really? I was. Yeah.
1: I'll be darned. I'll be darned. There were suspicions around Robert Moore in terms of his answers and some of the response that he had given about Glenna White. They did not indict him until I believe 2021 is when they indicted him based on additional evidence that they found. Do you have any idea what that additional evidence was?
2: I do not know what that additional piece of evidence is, but I do know. And they have said in press releases, the Portage County Sheriff's Department has said in press releases that they received a tip while investigating the Catherine Menendez case. So I don't know what that tip is or who it came from, but I would be very interested to find out.
1: It it would have to be big because otherwise they wouldn't indict him and put him on trial. You got one shot to do that. So it has to be something right. compelling and something big. If they think they have enough to, uh, to find him guilty.
2: And there was enough for I know they pulled a, a, I know it was a secret indictment, so that grand jury was sealed. So whatever it was, was enough for a grand jury to think there was enough evidence. But I I honestly, I don't know what that is. I know the tip came from Portage County Sheriff. Speaking of jurisdictional nightmares, the Robert Moore's trial for Glenna White's disappearance and this presumed murder is in Mahoning County. So out of Youngstown, because the house she disappeared from was actually in Mahoning County, even though it was right outside of Alliance in Stark County, but the tip came from Portage County. So Portage County was investigating Catherine Menendez's murder and got wind of some information that led to that. And then when when Stark County found out where she disappeared from, Mahoning County got the case. And then... They all work. They all worked it together somehow mm-hmm. to Finally, secure the so Finally, They could
0: have done all that in the nineties,
2: right?
1: And I think you allude to that in your podcast, and I think you make mention of that during the time in the jurisdictional boundaries were very difficult, and it it certainly probably. Uh, added complications to this case. And you made mention of all this information being forced to be fed to the FBI, but yet the FBI wasn't uh, required to share the information back the other way.
2: That's correct. Um, obviously the FBI does not, doesn't get involved in everything. It has to be a, they, the FBI got involved when Sarah Baim disappeared because that was across state lines and they were working, they considered it a kidnapping, which falls under FBI territory. But in the podcast, that comment was specifically referred to organized crime. Local, local jurisdictions didn't have, didn't have the resources because nobody talked to each other the way they do now. This is before the internet, before, before CODIS, before, um, before the violent crime. I think it's what is it called, VICAP, it was before yeah. all that, and they didn't, they couldn't talk to each other or they didn't talk to each other. And so everybody had like one piece of the whole puzzle. And the only people who had like probably the whole, whole picture was the FBI and they didn't, they didn't share back. So local jurisdictions were really kind of, their hands were kind of tied with what they could actually do. That was specifically referring to the organized crime aspect of it.
1: Okay. And I, that, that's an important distinction to make. And I think that now here we have the hindsight of 30 years, right? We're, we're not in the fishbowl, but when you're right. in it at the time, you don't get to see these cracks in terms of overlapping jurisdiction until it's well after the fact. And it's kind of a shame that this happened and it probably contributed to not solving this case before now. Yeah, it,
2: it certainly Absolutely. was a part of it. It was, it was also, that was also the norm back then though. They wouldn't, I don't know if anybody would have been able to see it as a as a crack i'm sure some people did but it, that was the norm that was just how it was done we have the benefit of it's databases and connectivity that didn't exist in the early 90s and so you'd have to be really forward thinking to be able to think this isn't ideal because it was the norm
0: we also have to consider that Sarah Bain wasn't even identified for, what, like a decade, you yeah. know? So we didn't know that there was an out-of-state tie there. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff is like, what can you do forensically after 10 years and now after 30 years? So a lot of that stuff is just lost. It's lost of time.
1: In looking back and doing this research, do you think police corruption played a part in any of this? Or police incompetence might be a better way to phrase it
0: I don't know I really don't I feel like um I'm gonna cut the Portage County Sheriff's Department a lot of slack here and say that I think that they were some very small town cops who you know I think the most exciting thing that might have happened here was like somebody doing a cop chase through town from Youngstown or something like you know what I mean I, there it was like there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff that they needed to be prepared for in that sense. So a lot of them probably weren't, you know, mentally. And, and I I don't know, I really can't venture a guess because forensics and policing have changed so much since then. I don't know. It could be incompetence. It could be negligence. It could be corruption. I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that there were some balls that were dropped.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't know if I'd be prepared to, to, to say it was corruption, either, but I do know that. Forgive me for being crass, but the lack of the, there was a definite lack of give a shit. Yeah. When it when it came there to is. Kathy, when it when it came to Kathy and, and and Sarah, I think the 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 level of give a crap was a lot higher when um, Andy Hussey and Lisa Waters were killed because Andy Andy Hussey was the son of a Portage County sheriff's officer
0: mhm
2: so i i think they were a little bit more motivated to solve that one than yeah than a couple than a couple of teenage girls and and i, I hate, and i'm not one to immediately go to play the, the 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 feminism card but um to to be completely honest it's it's just a fact like <laughs> Teenage girls are not always top priority, especially ones that are perceived to be bad girls.
0: Well, and So I, I think I, I there was a lot like, of that
2: perception yeah, and I think yeah. that carried over into how the cases were investigated. If that I makes agree. sense, I'm trying to be like as delicate attitude, as possible here.
0: <clears throat> no, I, I think you've done a good job. I think also that general attitude and demeanor about the victims themselves may have translated from the police that were investigating and the media. I feel like the reason the media portrayed them the way that they did and minimized who they were as people instead of, you know, really going into their stories um, and making humanizing them and making people actually care about them instead of just talking dismissively about them. I think the reason that that happened is because probably that's how the police also talked about them. So why would the people who are are reporting a story – you know, talk that much about somebody that the cops are telling them is not a big deal. You know,
2: true. It also could be a vicious cycle too.
0: That's true. That's true.
2: I mean, the media portrays bad girls as less than less than important, as just another uh, just another runaway, and the investigation techniques carry over. I I can't I, I can't actually. Yeah. can actually say how it started.
0: <laughs> well, I can say how it feels as a kid watching it, you know.
2: Correct. Correct. Yeah. As a girl who was a, as, as a woman who was a teenage girl once who got into trouble from time to time, I know what it's like to be considered a throwaway. Right. And it's not fun.
0: Nope. Well, and I think a lot of, a lot of women in the community felt that way too.
1: I think you both make fantastic points. And I think with the hindsight of 30 years, again, we live in a different time and a different culture. And I think how we view, this is me being optimistic. And as the father of teenage daughters, I think how we view women and how we view that situation is different than it was 30 years ago.
2: I would agree. Completely. I sure hope so. You,
1: you yeah. sure would hope. I mean, I feel
2: like, yeah. Yeah. We, I feel like it, there's still a long way to go, but we have come a long way.
1: Absolutely. And you talk a little bit about it in the podcast, and it was an important issue. I wanted to bring it up and kind of get your get your feedback on it. But it seemed, especially early on, the press was quick to label, especially Catherine. It seemed like once she had that runaway tag, to your point, it devalued the story a little bit. And maybe it wasn't that big of a deal to find a resolution. And it was just, I think, people watching the 6 o'clock news at night, they just click, oh, she was a runaway, no big deal, she's somewhere else. And you have this tendency to immediately dismiss it. It's massively unfair.
2: Yep. I would agree completely.
1: You talk a little bit about futon road and some of the activities that took place there. We touched on it a little bit, but it was, is it, was it really as bad and creepy as it seems?
0: It got pretty wild. Excuse me. Excuse me. Hold on. Yeah. It got pretty wild in moments it wasn't always that way for a long time. It was just, um, I don't know. It was like growing up in a really big park, you know, it was fun. I got to go, go play in the lake and we got to ride our bikes up and down the road. Cause there wasn't usually much traffic. And so for a long time, it was, it was pretty nice, but there, there did come a moment when things got pretty hinky.
2: And I think today i I don't have the benefit. I don't have the experience of growing up there, but today when you go there, it's it's eerie, um, and I think it's eerie because it's des- it's desolate, but that's not the only reason it's eerie. Like there is definitely a creep factor there. Yeah.
0: Well, I think knowing what we do about it is a big part of the creep factor too. Though
2: I I would ag- I would agree I would agree because like I said I didn't. I didn't get the experience of of riding bikes and playing in the in the lake there. I got the, yeah. the the experience of let's walk this road after we know four bodies were found here.
0: Right. Yeah, it does change your opinion.
1: Have you gotten any feedback from listeners that's compelling or interesting that uh, you found noteworthy?
0: Um, we've gotten yeah, like we haven't we haven't gotten a whole lot of feedback um in fact I wish we got a little more but um the feedback we have gotten a lot of it's been really positive and really encouraging that's nice because you know we're not experts at this we just we just saw something that maybe people should be talking about you know
2: I've gotten some cool some some cool feedback from People who would like point to um, like different fishing forums where people mm-hmm. are talk people talk about the lake and the the weird the quote witch's house and yeah yeah I thought that was I thought that was cool feedback like hey check this out it might help and it's a bunch of fishermen talking about the lake and that one particular point.
1: Well, it's certainly an interesting and compelling case, and it really draws you in. And it seems like one of those things where you just start researching and just it, just taking in as much information as you can.
2: Yeah, there's definitely so many rabbit holes to fall down. Like, <laughs> yeah. we have we, yeah. There's so there's so much that we have researched that hasn't even made it to an episode of our show yet. <laughs> it's coming though. Don't worry.
0: Well, and there's stuff that we've researched that went nowhere that wasn't even worth noting, really.
2: You know, that's true. That's true. There's a we. Like Liz was saying earlier, we look into everything. Everything people say we'll look into and it doesn't always go anywhere. And I think that's one of the reasons we're slow to release episodes is because it's almost a real time investigation. Like Yeah. We put a lot of time into it and not everything makes the not everything makes the show.
1: If you go on YouTube today, and i forgot the the young lady's name but i think she's a reporter from pittsburgh and they show her flipping through the files at the portage county sheriffs department and i'm thinking well wait a minute well what's any different between me or you or her if they're showing her the information why aren't they showing making it available to just anybody
2: That's that was i know i know the i know the video you're talking about that was in 2018 i think i think so that was um it's a different detective on the case now um, got it
1: got it got it understood understood in southern ohio in west virginia there's something of an underground network of neighbors and they all kind of look out for each other and they're relatively distrustful of outsiders and they're really distrustful of the police do you know if that network and that kind of atmosphere and culture exists today in alliance or in uh, around the berlin lake area
0: that's a fine question
2: it is and, and if they
0: if they do, I'd like them to call us
2: <laughs> I feel I th- this is this is a very this is a very general answer I'm about to give, and I have no evidence to back this up, but I think there's I think there's a little bit of that of that kind of attitude in that kind of a community anywhere marginalized people exist, and alliance has a lot of marginalized folks there's i think in areas where there are people of color where addiction runs high there are a lot of marginalized people you're going to find communities and little pockets of people like that who watch in out poverty. for each other who yes yes who are mis, who, who do not who don't trust authority of any kind because they've they've been let down
1: and um, I, th- you can't find that strength of that bond in any other place Except for people like that. And they just look out for family. They look out for each other. And you don't have that in, let's say, the cul de sac community.
0: No. <laughs> That's true. But these kind of cloistered environments, though, they're a double edged sword. It's like, so everybody's looking out for everybody, but also that leaves room for problems. You know, it's like you hear stories about some of the negative side of what happens in Amish communities that get too closed off. And it's like, yeah, well, it's good and bad, you know
1: for sure, absolutely, in my time at uh, Deerfield and the Alliance in that part of uh that part of Ohio, I noticed there is a lot of truck traffic a lot, probably more so than oh, yeah. any other small town, and some people have pointed the finger at somebody a driver with uh perhaps murder accusations uh associated with it, so I guess my question is, do you think this could be a possibility that it could be related to the trucking industry? And I'm I'm in the trucking industry without giving too many details. And one of the things that we emphasize with our drivers is human trafficking. And truly what a big problem it is, even to this day. And so for people to think that it's not, it is. And I'm sure it.
2: Ohio is a huge crossroads for it, too. Absolutely.
1: Do you think this could have played a part somehow in that?
0: I I can't rule it out.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I can't rule it out. (laughs) Um, I don't, I think it's very easy to label. um, I think it's very easy to write these murders off as a, as a serial, as the same serial killer. And I think it's very easy to point the finger at any number of, um, any number of transient folks yeah and i'm I'm considering i'm considering truck drivers transient even though they're not completely transient but they're on the move a lot i think Mm -hmm. it's a very easy conclusion to make although i personally don't necessarily think that it's true i don't either it's possible
0: but not likely
2: well yeah i would agree the person responsible for any any, for these deaths could have any number of jobs including truck (laughs) <laughs> but no, right. i don't think I, I don't think that it's any more likely that they are involved in transportation for a career than they are anything
1: else if i'm a truck driver just driving you, through the area i wouldn't know about futon road there's no signs there's no hey drop a body here there's nothing like that
2: no there is there are signs for the berlin lake area though as soon if you're on 76 coming into ohio from pennsylvania the very first sign is for the Berlin Lake area. No, I don't mean the very first sign for anything in general, but the very first sign for any type of park or wildlife area is for Berlin Lake. And so I think that, I think the lake itself is not hard to find. I think the lake itself, you don't have to have an intimate knowledge of the area to be able to find Berlin Lake. But to turn down a residential street and follow it to where it ends in the lake, I think you might have to already know about it for that.
1: And driving a truck.
2: Yeah.
0: Correct.
1: Theoretically. Yeah. I
0: We didn't get a whole lot of, of semi-truck traffic on the road, though. We did get some, but not much.
1: Yeah, that whole turning around thing probably was <laughs> problematic to this whole equation
0: especially back then before the parking lots were expanded and you know graveled and taken care of better
2: right so i think i think that the point i was making about how the person responsible could drive a truck i don't think they were hauling i don't think they were hauling people in there with a semi truck that that was their only form of transportation they're just as likely to Especially be a truck driver as they are anything else because that they probably bought a different vehicle. Back right.
0: Especially as far back as they were found.
1: Correct. When we talked a little bit earlier about some of the rumors and the stories, one of the rumors that I'd heard, and you probably have exposure to this way more just from your contacts and from having kind of lived through this. Was that there were bad things going on, including there might be other people buried there. And I'm just curious if you'd heard that and if uh, you lend any credence to that.
2: It wouldn't shock me at all. <laughs> no, I haven't heard anything. I, I, haven't heard anything specific. I have heard about other people being, um, like I said, what I was talking about earlier. I so said I've heard about hitmen. I've heard about people being dumped there, whether it was in the water or it was buried. I don't really know. The people who were telling this didn't really know either. It was all just kind of supposition. I mean, at one time we even joked about <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa could be buried back there and we'd never know. Right. And it's kind of true. He could. Yeah, he could be. There's actually connections uh-huh. to him oh, from, gosh, yeah. from Town yeah. road.
1: Are you, are you being serious? You serious? There's really connections?
2: there's really a
1: connection yeah wow. wow fascinating
2: um so we have we have joked that like yeah Jimmy Hoffa might be buried back there but you know he he might be and I wouldn't be surprised in the least right
1: stranger Not things right. have happened
0: so was that guy who was um, missing for a while that was found back there
1: that's true yeah 2013. that was much...
0: in 2013 Jeffrey Hathaway he was a guy out of Norton had uh, been reported missing, right? And then um, I think three or four days later, somebody, I, I want to say one of the sheriffs or somebody called in a car that was parked back at the end of Town Road and the sheriffs went back there and it turned out it was that guy who was had been reported missing's car. And um, they spent a while looking for him and then they found him. Allegedly, he had died sitting behind a tree and I, I don't remember what all the details about that were. I wanna say that they had ruled it a suicide, but I...
2: Yeah, I think they ruled it a suicide, but he had, he had also, they found him not far from the parking lot where his car was or something. I don't remember all the details either.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just remember it was it was, it seemed very odd.
1: On the internet, there are sites like Reddit and Web Sleuths. Uh, these two come to mind, where a lot of internet sleuths try to help resolve these crimes and talk about it and have general discussion. Do you follow any of these sites, and do you think that they would help in any way contribute to uh, solving these? We follow I follow them, them
2: religiously. I I follow them, them religiously, them. but no, I, I do. I follow them. I follow them pretty very regularly, and I I check very frequently for new for new information. And yes, I do think that those forums can help solve the case, but I think there's massive potential there for them to be able to help. I think anything that helps get a few Town Road victims' names out in front of the public, the more people talk about um, Andy Hussey, Lisa Waters, Kathy Menendez, and Sarah Bame, the more people hear those names, the more people learn about their cases and their lives, more ears, and hear about it and maybe one of those people will uh remember something. Uh maybe an old girlfriend or um an old boyfriend of somebody or somebody who moved away and goes, Holy crap, that's not solved yet yeah. and uh then that, that reaches out and all it takes is the right person to hear it for the right person to remember and reach out and the more people talk about it so any kind of forum any kind of discussion show podcast video youtube video tv show anything that can help just help get the word out yeah i think think any of that can help
1: and i I think that's important to understand too is is keeping this out and keeping the story uh alive and having this still in front of people because you're right I think it's human nature to talk. I think it's a matter of time before somehow the story gets cracked and it'll get solved. And I'm just curious, what do you think it will take to solve this case?
2: Deathbed confession. Which one?
1: Any of them? All of them.
2: (laughs) What did did you just say, Liz?
0: Deathbed confession, especially with Sarah and Kathy.
2: Yeah, I think that, I think it will take somebody coming forward. I think it'll be one person i think that's all it takes is one person to say something and i think that's what it'll take um i don't at this point i don't know what it'll take to solve andy and lisa's murders i feel like since he was the son of a sheriff they probably had every motivation and every resource available to solve it and and if it hasn't been i i don't know i don't know what else it would take
0: I think it's all also almost universally agreed by anybody who's heard these stories that andy and lisa and kathy and sarah are completely separate incidents it's like sarah and kathy could be connected in some way just because of how they were found and the state they were found in and the way that they were killed which is completely different than how andy and lisa were killed
2: correct you know and you could there's it's even possible that sarah and kathy were not killed by the same person too
0: I I I agree.
2: Yeah, I think we can lump all four of them together, but we may be doing a disservice by that. So I think we have to look at each case individually. I think think it might take a really dedicated detective. I mean, okay, I watch a lot of cold case files. There's always, and in those stories, there's always one really dedicated detective who takes a crack at a cold case. It might take that. It might take somebody finding some DNA evidence
0: Right. Well, that's how Sarah got found. That's how she got her name back as some detective. And Beaver PA Department was like, I wonder if I should look in areas around here for people who were found. Mm-hmm. See if they match any of our missing persons descriptions, you know. Mm-hmm. And she did that and, and she landed it because that's actually how she got found. Yep.
1: It's it's an interesting case, and you're absolutely correct. It just seems like it goes on forever and ever. You can jump down rabbit hole after rabbit hole and come up with something different every time.
2: Indeed. What do you what do you think it would take? What do you think it would take to solve the cases?
1: Point blank, I think law enforcement probably has a solid clue who did it. They just probably don't. They lack the evidence at this point, and they're afraid to blow it up. Again, that's just my reckless conjecture. That's it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I like I, that phrase reckless conjecture car.
1: that's it That's I think that's pretty much all I have for you do you guys have anything else you want to touch base
0: not really I just appreciate talking to you and appreciate you being interested because that's the whole point is we just want to keep eyes on this, this situation
2: thank you so much for having us and taking the time to talk to us and go over some of these details and help bring light to light to Light to the dark spots of Futon Road.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you guys, I'm sincere when I tell you that podcast is cool. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. That is so cool. I really appreciate your times. It was fantastic to uh, speak with you. Keep up the great work.
2: All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Wonderful. All right.
1: I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, no problem. Thank you, too.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more like it, Head over to Ohio Mysteries.com. With over 500 podcasts to choose from, there's sure to be one that's going to keep you captivated. I'm Dan, and I can be found at YouTube at North Coast History and Haunts. My partner Mike can be found at Facebook at Too Late for Autographs. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. That was another episode of Ohio Mysteries Backroads. Stay tuned for more.